that they may be one like we are one. That they may be one as me and the Father are one. Jesus' prayer was let them be one. Let's pray. Father, may that prayer be echoed here, not just in this place, but around the world, in the body of Christ, that we would be one as you are one with your Father. May the revelation come to us in such a way, in such a new way, that we understand what oneness looks like. We understand what you want to accomplish here on earth by bringing heaven to earth. May we understand and open our eyes to see the things that you see so that we may live the life you want us to live. Not the life that we think we're supposed to live, but the life you want us to live. So, Father, I ask that tonight you just awaken our spirits. You open our hearts, our ears, our eyes. Peace. Shalom. May the peace of God rest on your souls. As the Father said, may, may you find rest for your soul. I declare a peace over you right now. That everything that the Father wants for you tonight, you get. That everything that he desires for you tonight, you receive. And that you can drown out anything of me that comes out in the flesh that might offend you or hurt you or come against you or contradict what you believe and listen and try to eat from the wheat of what God wants you to eat. That no man can feed you what God wants to feed you. So may you know the difference tonight in me and what God is saying. That I may get out of the way and be a vessel. In Jesus' name, amen. Whew, thank you for the worship band. That was uh, incredible. Um, unlike most nights where I run around, right? I mean, if any of you heard me preach once, I like to run back and forth. I barely look at my notes. Um, tonight's going to be a little different. It's a little more important. I want to make sure that I say what the Lord's put on my heart and words are important where we are. Words are very important. And so I'm going to have my glasses on a lot. I'm going to be reading a lot, but just bear with me and take away from the heart of what I'm trying to say. This is going to be a 45-minute talk, but, you know, but it's a part of hundreds and hundreds of hours, for me personally, of conversations with people in process, in prayer, with leaders, with clients, with friends. So this is not going to be an omnibus talk that covers all topics, but the one thing I think the Lord wants me to do is go after the heart. That we're never going to cover all the topics and say, oh, this is the way it is. But one thing I know we can do is we can say, what is my heart saying? What is the heartbeat of God in all these situations? See, <laughs> I'm in process and everything's bubbling up in me too. We talked about this in, in COVID. God's shaking the tree, man. He's shaking to what be shaken. We go into COVID. Right from COVID and all this stuff is bubbling up in me. Anybody else bubbling up in COVID? Anything coming out of you in COVID? 
Okay, you're all liars or you're not, or you're lazy. Okay. Then we go straight in to one of the one of the biggest issues of our generation is race issue, racial inequality. And we passed, I mean, are we still in, uh, worried about the murder hornets? No? Are we passed the murder hornets? Okay, because I also heard locusts for the first time are coming up after 20 years. And I went, really? Locusts? Murder hornets and locusts on top of COVID and racial I mean, seriously? You know, so I thought we passed over the murder hornets way too quick. I thought those might be interesting topics of discussion. But I want to make a few things clear. When, you, when we're talking about the leadership of Kingdom Life, we are about people. We are about people. We're not about an entity, we're not about an organization. Yes, thank you. But what we do agree with is that in what God is putting his hand on is that right now is that black lives matter. And I'm not talking about a, an organization. We're not giving money to an organization. I'm not talking about that. That's a whole different discussion. But we're about people. And if you've been here more than one hour, you know that. So I feel like it's needed for me to say that. We're about people always. And when there are people that are being discriminated against, we speak up. And it might make people feel uncomfortable. But what's funny is you don't have to come to church to be uncomfortable. Read your Bible. It does a great job. Read your Bible, and it does a great job of making you feel uncomfortable, unless you're reading it with a lens. Because you can sometimes afford to read it with the lens. You don't have to speak every week. Let me say that again. You can read your Bible with any lens you want because you don't have to speak every week. You can keep your little picadillos to yourself. See, as a follower of Jesus, I don't have the luxury of leading and making decisions by my political and ideological beliefs. I have to follow the kingdom value system and operate from its wisdom. Let me say that again. I don't have the luxury of leading and making decisions by my political and ideological beliefs. I have to follow the kingdom value system and operate from the kingdom value system's wisdom. Turn your Bible to John 18.33, please. 18.33. Pilate. Sitting there staring at Jesus. I am not a, this is Pilate answering. I am not a Jew. Your nation and the chief priest delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting. That I might be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. I'm going to read it out of the mirror, if I may. I want you to hear it out of the mirror. Is everybody okay with the mirror version? Anybody think I'm a heretic? Pilate replied in 35, I am a Jew. Why would I bother to speculate about you? Your own people and priests handed you over to me. 
What have you done to make them do this? In the mirror, 1836, Jesus answered, My kingdom has nothing in common with political or religious systems of this world. It does not originate out of their structures. If it did, my subordinates would fight for me and resisting my handover to you. It's amazing how when we read this, we understand that the kingdom of God is not in this realm. It has nothing to do with the, it has nothing to do with the realm of our political and ideological views. It has to be subordinate to those views, to our kingdom views. Any of the view that we carry has to be subordinate to what we carry, the kingdom of God. I didn't make this up. Anything that we put above the kingdom, above Christ, is an idol. It doesn't matter what it is, it's an idol. So how do I know I've made an idol of my politics? When I see the war on racism and any other issue in our lives, this is the topic right now, but any other issue in our lives, when I see the war on racism or any other issue in our lives as a battle between left and right instead of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. I'm going to say that again, that was so good. So how do I know I have made an idol out of my politics? When I see the war on racism as a battle between left and right instead of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Turn your Bibles to Acts 2. You with me? Everybody all right? Am I going to get any emails yet? Okay, I'm working on getting emails. The prophet Joel, Peter's getting up. Pentecost happens. Holy Spirit shows up on the scene. This is what they've been waiting for. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've needed. He gets up on the scene. Peter the coward all of a sudden becomes Peter the lion. And he comes out and preaches this message. And then he quotes Joel and says this. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour my spirit on all, all mankind, all flesh. Say all flesh. And your sons and daughters will pro shall prophesy. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So he breaks down the gender barrier. Your sons and daughters. This is New Testament stuff. Prior to this, daughters didn't prophesy. There was prophetesses, but they were to a degree. This is your sons and daughters were prophesy. So he breaks down the gender barrier. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. He breaks down the age barrier when the Holy Spirit shows up. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will pour, those, I will pour out my spirit. Now it's class and race. Things change when Holy Spirit shows up. It's not like the old days. When Holy Spirit shows up, when God came on the scene, there's no male or female. There's no old or young. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no black and white. Everything succumbs and submits to the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is something that has to get deep in our bones because as spiritual believers, this is our DNA. This is who we are. This is how we live our life. See, Pentecost, the arrival day, should be changing the lenses in which we see through and how we should see things. 
Anything, I'm going to say it again, elevated above Jesus that controls our lives and thoughts is an idol. In addition, it causes us to love, not to love, and to judge that something is wrong. And we want to judge something. See, if we elevate anything above Jesus who did not judge, we're going to judge something. So when we get into the ideology, all right, here's my ideology, here's my politics. And we're Christians, well, we've, we're putting another justice system above Jesus' justice system. And it doesn't matter if this is a racial issue or a woman issue. It doesn't matter what issue it is. Right now, the racial issue is elevated, so we're going to talk about that tonight. And the issue there is that if it elevates something above Jesus, then we're coming into a new justice system. And that's the justice system of whoever you are and whatever you think and whatever you want to do. Whatever you, how you want to act, however you want to deflect responsibility. But Jesus said, here's your standard. And the standard is what? That we love, we understand. Is it hot in here or just me? Let's go to Nicodemus. Let's go to Nicodemus. Turn your Bibles to John 3, please. Here's what I love about Nicodemus, and this is one of my points in no particular order. Nicodemus asked a lot of questions. He asked a lot of questions to do what? Understand. Things he did not understand, he asked. Now, who was Nicodemus? He, he was the teacher of teachers. He was like the Pharisee of Pharisees. Like, this guy wrote the book on the law. He didn't write the law, but you know what I'm saying. Metaphorically speaking, this kid wrote the book. And his students got angry with him because he went to Jesus to ask Jesus questions. And I'm just going to read a few, a few of what he ta they talked about in, um, in John 3. Now, there was a man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, isn't that great? He was afraid of his own people and he was the ruler of his people, so he had to go by night. He had to sneak in to talk to Jesus because he was afraid of his own people. Rabbi, know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again? When he is old, he cannot re-enter. This was blowing his mind. It doesn't even register with Nicodemus. He was coming to Jesus because I believe, and this is all speculation, I'm not trying to add into the Bible, but he was coming to understand, to seek. He, he could have come to kill him. Because see, later on in chapter 7, the Jews wanted to kill him. So just four chapters in a few days, they were all going to kill him. He could have easily come and killed him. He had the power, right? Bring the soldiers, knife him. He came by himself in the dead of night so he could be alone with Jesus to ask a question. Guess what? That was prompting something in here. He didn't come with a question up here. He came with a question in here. Because if he came with a question up here, he would have answered, he would have asked it in the synagogue like all the other Pharisees did to Jesus. He would have asked him, remember that? They'd always, well, teacher, how do you know this? Blah, 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 blah. He'd give it to him. How do you know this? You're an uneducated man. But he came in the middle of the night because he had a question from in here. And the people that wanted to hear, his friends could not hear that because they're all up here. You tracking with me? And so he asked the question. But guess what the question I think internally he was asking? 
What if he's the Messiah we've been looking for? What if he's the Christ? What if he's the Christ? The Pharisee of Pharisees, the king of the Pharisees, the teacher of all students was asking the question, what if I'm wrong? So all I want, I want all of you right now, all of you, it doesn't matter about anything. This is a basic ask, and it could be about anything. It doesn't even have to be about race. I'm just talking about your personal life, about anything you think, any paradigm you have. It can apply to race. It can apply to anything. In your marriage, girlfriend, school, I want you to say this with me. What if I'm wrong? Say it. There is humility in that. There is humility with asking yourself the question, what if I'm wrong about how I think? And then, what else does it do? It makes you ask the question of, I want to understand. So what does Nicodemus do? What if I'm wrong? What if he is the Christ? I want to understand. How do you understand? You ask questions. You ask questions, and you can figure out, do I sound like I'm mad? Huh? I'm really not. I'm just kind of in this thing right now. I promise you I'm not mad. I love you all. I'm, I'm passionate. Jeff told me yesterday, he goes, slow down so you don't come out too passionate. And I go, okay, I, I think I sound angry. Okay, I'm not angry. <laughs> He's like, I laugh at myself. What if I'm wrong? I am angry. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's the point. It's like whatever thought. But think about this for race because that's what we're talking about. What if you're wrong? Well, I don't have a political view. Oh, yeah, you do. I don't have it elevated about Jesus. Well, if something in you is stirring every time somebody says something, then God's putting his finger on something, something. Right? Because last week we, we sang a song in here. You can have it all. Uh, I'm going to have fun with this one. You can have it all. And we're all up here. You can have it all. Jumping around, slobbering, spitting, you can have it all. You know, anybody that was home, you can have it all. Let's talk about you can have it all. So you can have it all. And I think there's four parts to you can have it all. There are the parts he has of you. And let me guess, 80% of what he has of you are your gifts and your strengths. Because those are easy. 80% are probably what he has of you are your gifts and strengths. Josh's a great drummer. Hey, I'm going to drum for Jesus. You know, Randy's a good oil and gas man. Hey, I'm going to drill for Jesus. Jeff's a good real estate guy. We all, hey, I'm going to do this for Jesus. We all give our strengths. Hey, my leader, I'm going to do, do this for Jesus. But then there's another level. It's the level we're just letting him in on. The, wow, I can't avoid this. This is, this is the level of parts he's working on. See, things that are seen by you and by others but you're willing to address what you see and what others see. That's the next level. I'm willing to see that. Like Jeff Amory and Kelly, usually once a week. No, I'm kidding. It's like it can be pride. It can be arrogance. It can be, you know, it can be overpowering. It can be controlling. And it's like, okay, I can consider that. I've, I can process that. Um, sometimes we wouldn't be in agreement about it. But then I would process and go, well, you're right. Is everyone with me so far? Then there's the next level, 
parts I don't want, even, want him to have. Those are the locked doors of pain and trauma that you, don't, you wanted to throw the keys away a long time ago. It could have been an abusive father or mother, sexual, sexual abuse. could be tr- just any kind of trauma, PTSD from the war. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's a locked door that you say, I will not go there. It's too painful. It hurts. But guess what? It affects you. It affects how you see things. It affects, because the Lord's saying, I want it all. And you're saying, I know, my gift, uh, my pride, I can give you that. That's pretty ambiguous. But uh, there's this thing, I can't give you that. And the fourth and final is parts I don't even know of yet that are there. Your blind spots. A lot of this takes place because we just, our intentions, we judge our intentions, but other people's actions. So we don't go to those places because our intentions are always good. We're always generous, we're always kind, we're all these things. So our intentions are good, but we judge other people's actions. And so it makes us feel better in going down. I don't have to go there because, boy, I love everyone. I'm going to go do this for people. But we have these little things, these little judgments, these little prejudices, these little things, these little political and ideological spirits that come in and we kind of tap them on the side because our intentions are good. We're good Americans. I'm protecting America. I didn't know Jesus was an American, but I love this country. Because when I go, I, I think if I went to Port Aransas where I see Texas and American flags on the back of trucks, if I saw Jesus' truck, it would be an 18-wheeler with every country represented. And I love this country. I love it. Best country on earth. Best country on earth. But Jesus doesn't have a Texas and an American flag on the back of his truck at the beach. And if we have that ideology, then our lens and filters are all about that. Not that we can't love America, but we can't love anything above Jesus to where people that actually are Jesus, people that we're ostracizing, even if they don't know Jesus, that we're ostracizing because of a love for something, that actually a symbol doesn't have more value than life. A symbol doesn't have more importance than people. Though we can honor the symbol, and I do. I'm just talking, guys. I'm just talking about the things that everybody wants to discuss, but they don't want to discuss them with us. They want to discuss them around us. They want to go and talk to other people about us. And so we're going to get real here. We're going to talk about what's going on, and we're going to be real and have discussions. Chuck's not here, so you can email him. The one thing that won't, you won't give him is the very thing he wants to be your everything in. I've said this before. The very thing you won't give him, he wants to be your everything. The something you're holding back is the very something he wants to be your everything. But he can't be your everything until you give him that something. Whatever it is, anything in your life, you've got to give it to him. Because he can't work on it. Because he needs cooperation. He needs cooperation. 
You can watch TV all day. You can watch prophecies all day. You can watch, listen to every speaker at Bethel. You can do all that stuff, but he needs cooperation to be saying, hey, this is yours. I don't want it anymore. It's dragging me down. It's keeping me from my destiny. Why do I keep going around this wheel, wagon wheel, wagon wheel, wagon wheel? Because you don't want to give up the stuff he's saying, this is the something you need to give me so I can be your everything in that something. And if God was telling you to give him something, why wouldn't you give it to him knowing that he wants it so he can free you from it? Right? I mean, if we just process externally. I love processing externally. It aggravates my wife, but it's, it's good for me. See, I don't think Jesus will ask us why we show too much compassion, too much empathy, too much trying to understand, try too hard to run after people that feel oppressed or alone, to lay down your life and love for the one that needs you, needs you next to them in spite of your statistics and facts. And for that matter, finding the one position you disagree with and focusing on that to rationalize your position to push away and isolate instead of lean in and ask questions. Including asking friends, asking us and the people next to you. What's wrong with a question? Hey, I don't understand this. I, ha I, I mean, I had so many calls with friends this week. And we just asked questions. And a lot of them asked me questions because I am very involved in the African-American community. You know, 85% of my clients are African-American in the athletic space. We've been involved in the community for 17 years. And so we, I love people that ask me questions. I love asking questions. I've asked so many questions. I want to encourage you. Don't wonder. Ask. Ask the person next to you. Hey, man, help me process this. Ask somebody that doesn't look like you. Hey, help me process this. What do you think about this? How does this make you feel? How does this make you feel? Because I'm not you. Do you feel this way? This is what we do. This is how we're supposed to respond. I just don't understand why we, why do we feel the need to deflect and defend our view when people share how they feel and experience? What does it cost us just to listen and try to understand? What does it cost you? Time? What does it cost you? You don't have to argue. What does it cost us to listen and try to understand? What part of us keeps us from doing that? Something we don't want to give up on or something we don't see? What? What's in us? That when somebody brings something up, and we just don't understand it, that we just can't listen. Like, golly, I've never seen that. I don't understand that. Help me understand that. Because 99.99% of the time when someone's asking you a question, they're not accusing you. They're not accusing you of doing anything. They just want to understand. They want to get in your head and go, why do you think this way about this? That's all they want to know. My African-American friends, my black friends just want to know. I just want to ask them, what's your life experience? And every time they tell me, I'm going, I didn't do it. I'm just listening. I want to understand the life experience behind my friends, behind people I don't know, behind the people I'm called to love without getting offended, without wondering, like, well, my political view is that uh, you're not feeling that way. Think how stupid that sounds. That actually a political view can negate someone how they feel. They, you, or you shouldn't feel that way. What's interesting, I've, I'm going to, i got to skip onto something. Well, no, I don't. Who's a veteran in here? 
PTSD. Shouldn't feel that way. Get over it. Should we just tell people that served in the Army, served overseas, tours of duty, and they come home with PTSD, you shouldn't feel that way. You've been back a year. What's up? And I've never served. So how do I know? So five people raised their hand. 200 did not. So how do you know how she feels unless you ask her? How do you know how she feels? How can you tell her to get over it? You didn't see what she saw. You didn't experience what she experienced. Her life experience over there was not what you have over here. And so we ask questions. And we walk through the process to understand her pain. Is that, is that sibling with everybody? Can I just hear one amen? Because veterans are suffering from something. But we don't tell them to get over it. And I don't want to hear it. Secondly, Jesus. Let's use Jesus. He's a good reference. He was feeding the 5,000. And the disciples came to him and said, hey, the people are hungry. Should we send them into the town and get something to eat? What does Jesus do? Jesus he had compassion over them. And he said, no, you feed them. You feed them. Because he had compassion over them. They were hungry. He didn't go, okay, you're the stupidest people in the world. You came out to the hill. You listened to me talk. You brought no snack, no water. Where's your bottled water and where's your, you know, where's your kabucha? Where's all your stuff? No, he goes, I had compassion over them, he says. And he, and he looks at his disciples and goes, okay, time for you all to grow up. Time to do a miracle. You feed them. But what do we got? We got some fish and some loaves. Not enough to feed these, so you better pray. And he broke it and gave thanks and multiplied the food. Thank you. Then, the woman caught in adultery. See, those first two things are just, people existed, right? Now, here's the woman caught in adultery. She actually did something. The first two didn't do anything to deserve the thought of get over your PTSD or they just served a country. The people that didn't think it was going to be all, you know, an, all, you know, Jesus was going to go long and people were going to miss dinner, you know, but so they didn't bring anything. So, you know, they, he had compassion. What about the woman caught in adultery? She actually did something. She broke the law. So she was caught in adultery and about to be stoned for something she did. Now, not how she felt. Something she did. Facts say she was an adulterer. The statistics say she should have been stoned. But Jesus said, you are forgiven. Where are your accusers? I'm just wondering where accusing comes from. The statistical and factual accusing of people that have experienced oppression. I know the stats. But we have a standard. That Jesus came and said, 
Love your brother. Love your sister. But she's caught in adultery, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Where are your accusers? What I'm sensing in the body of Christ today is a lot of accusers. And that's why I want to bring that up. Why would we be accusing somebody that did nothing to us? People might be saying something you agree with, disagree with, but if it's stirring something in that one of those four categories that you haven't dealt with, why don't we deal with that first so you can hear clearly? This is a season of hearing clearly. Speaking less and hearing. And I'm a, I'm a recovering anti-listener. Okay? I mean, hi, my name's Joey. I'm an, I'm an anti-listener. Hey, Joey. I'm an, a recovering anti-listener. But how do we accuse? I just, it blows my mind that the body of Christ can become accusational about people that feel a certain way about their treatment. It's a question I, I need to ask. It's a question I need to ask all of us. I do. I ask so many leaders from around this country. I have so many. I've had, you don't understand how many phone calls I've had about it. Of asking people to try to understand this issue. I love the fact that we want all the compassion in the world for our life experiences and trauma. But for some reason, don't allow others the same freedom. What's attached to that? Shame? Guilt? What is it that, man, I want everyone to listen to my, my trauma, my pain, my life experience. All I'm hearing is people sharing their life experience. I'm not worried about the outliers, okay? Can I, should I name the outliers? Looters. I'm not talking about the looters. I'm not talking about the people breaking the law. I'm talking about people that want to share a life experience. And that I want to share my life experience. So why do I get more freedom to share? Can you imagine? Have you ever had that friend that all they do is want to dump on you their life experience and their trauma? <laughs> Eventually, you just want someone to ask about you. So what does it cost us to listen? What does it cost us? Citizens of the kingdom are recognized by freedom. How do you know when you're free? When there's no fear. Because perfect love casts out all fear. I, I talked to several people this week and I asked them because they were questioning and asking us about us going to a protest or different things. And I said, what are you experiencing? And to the person, I'm, I'm fearful. So your fear does what to me? So what's fearful? What are you afraid of? And let's deal with the fear instead of just associating with people. How can we, how can we come in in spite of our concerns? Why can't we ask questions to get rid of our fear? Right? The more knowledge and information we have, the better off we can understand the situation and be less fearful. And I think that's what the world needs to see, is the, the body of Christ moving forward in love, but also moving forward in trying to understand what we've missed. And it's not that hard. You know, take it from me. I made a, life, a lifelong endeavor to defend myself so I never looked wrong. 
been married to her for 33 years. I mean, it's just been one of those things. But I think, we're, I think the church is missing this one. You want to see how much God trusts you? And I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm getting toward the end because then I want to do some ministry. You always, you know, probably a lot of people, you know how, like when you're a kid, you think, I wonder if I'm dad's favorite. I wonder if I'm mom's favorite. Anybody ever do that besides me? Okay, me only? Okay. Oh, there we go. Thank you, Brittany. Um, and you ever ask the question, I wonder really how much God trusts me? Has anybody ever thought that? Or is it just me? Does God really trust me? You asking the question over there? <laughs> you want to know how much God trusts you? See what he's entrusted you with. See, the most valuable thing he can trust you with, hear me on this one. I need eyes on this one. The most valuable thing he can trust you with are his sons and daughters. And you know who his sons and daughters are? Your brothers and sisters. The most valuable thing God can trust you with is people. Because they're his sons and daughters. And those sons and daughters are your brothers and sisters. So how would you feel if somebody came up to you and started talking about your sister or your brother? <laughs> Mama Bears comes out. All of you are my brothers and my sisters. All of you watching at home are my brothers and my sisters. I got blood brothers and then I and sisters. I got blood family and then I got Jesus family. The blood of Jesus that binds us all into brothers and sisterhood. For a season, can we come and lock arms without having to deflect? Can we lock arms and say, we're with you, we're standing with you. We might not understand it, but you're my brother and sister, and we're going to lock arms and say no more to this. No matter what it looks like, we're not going to shout at you and tell you why you're wrong and you shouldn't be feeling this way and all the statistics in the world. How loving does it feel? How many of you would go to a cancer patient and say, well, you have a 99% chance of death, but let's go, baby. No, it doesn't matter. We have faith in Christ to change the situation. He is bigger than any situation that we've encountered this far. You are 100% successful if you're sitting here with every obstacle in your life so far. 100% successful. Well, you wouldn't be here. You'd be dead. Every obstacle you have gone over so far. That's looking at the glass half full, right? We can look at all your failures, but how about the rocks of remembrance where Jesus showed up and did something that he's never done before in your life that changed your life like it's never done before so you could see things that you've never saw and do things you never did because you had a new revelation of you as a son and daughter and you saw people as brothers and sisters and not by what they look like or where they're from. We have to get over this. Not just as this body, but as the body of Christ. The body of Christ has to be a leader in loving people. A leader in loving people. And that's all I'm asking. I'm not asking for anything else. If you take away anything from this, is that God loved us, that he gave his life. And then he asked us to, to go and disciple the world and love others as he loved us. That's all he has to do. And that's what I'm preaching tonight. I'm just giving a little something-something to it because we have a lot of discourse amongst us. 
And I'm saying, can't we find something uniting about loving people? Hey, can I tell you a secret? Lean in. God's not a Democrat or a Republican. He's not. He loves all the Democrats and all Republicans. There might be issues, yeah, subservient to the kingdom. Hear me again. He might have issues that he favors, but they're all subservient to the kingdom. The kingdom of God rules everything that we think do. Our lens is the kingdom. Our lens is of love. Our lens is of grace, mercy, tenderness. Go read the book, The Fruits of the Spirit. That's who we represent. We don't have, I mean, listen, there are a lot of things that we're against, right? Why don't we start speaking for what we're for? I hear people all the time, I'm praying against, I rebuke that, I I pray, and there's things we need to pray against. But have you ever been around the people that all they do is pray against? And then you're kind of going, well, what are you for? I want to see what people are for. Because God's for you, and you, and you, and you. And he has no, there's no discrimination in God, he's for you. And so what I want to see is a body that comes alive and starts thinking for themselves that there's no winner. There's no winner. Who wins on Facebook and Instagram with the best post? Who wins? Guess who? The enemy wins with the infighting. You think you're actually changing someone's opinion? You, the lines are drawn politically. Why don't we draw a kingdom line? And see if we can move the needle for the kingdom and then let God work through people. And everything probably that you believe in, if God moves through people, will change. But instead of throwing barbs on Facebook and Instagram, i, I got to make sure, share this if you believe it. It's like, give me a break. That's not changing anyone's life. What changes someone's life is to go knock on their door and say, hey, can we have a beer together? We have iced tea together and talk to them. Take them to Starbucks and say, man, I love you, but I want to understand this. Doing something relationally. It doesn't, it doesn't do it on Facebook and Instagram. You can make moral, you can, say, you can tell people what you're about, but you're not changing anyone's mind. But guess who can change minds? Jesus. He can change hearts, which changes the minds, which changes actions. But if we don't get to people's hearts, we're never going to change anything else. If we don't, this is a heart issue. And we got to get to the heart in order to see people's lives change. We cannot continue on thinking that I am not dependent upon the political system for revival. It didn't happen back in Jesus' time. He had 12 men, then 70. And he changed the world in spite of people wanting to kill him and destroy every disciple that came. How many of them were in prison because of the political system? But they didn't Facebook from prison, I'm being detained. No, they wrote letters to the churches that caused them to grow at a faster rate than any other time in the history of the world. That's what I want to see. Could you imagine if we came on fire after all this upright, after all this, that we actually came on fire, united as a body, and saw the world transform with revival? Hey, and if something is out there on the future, on the horizon, that people see as bad, or blind spots that we're not seeing, you know, that there's something else out there. Man, I think God's got it. I think he does a good job of getting it. 
especially with every one of you interceding. I mean, we have a friend that intercedes all the time, and she's interceding all the time for this kind of stuff. And I love her death. She intercedes for Kelly and I all the time. And the best part about it is, is that we all want the same thing. But we're so, we get so afraid. We get so afraid, so we think we have to protect and, and come up with things to help us feel better. When Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? And then what my favorite thing is, and I will give you rest for your soul. Our souls need to dial down and rest. Because this is a real battle. And it's, against and it's not against flesh and blood. Okay, I'm, give me a second here. Y'all know Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans? One of my favorite quotes. There's division on Sunday. There will be chaos on Monday. And I'm just talking about Sunday church. We're talking, he's talking about the metaphor for the body of Christ. If there is chaos, I mean division on Sunday, there will be chaos on Monday. We have, to, we have to come together. See, the weapons in Ephesians 6 were not to be used on people, but the spirits. The sword of truth was used to renew minds, not to kill and cut flesh in people. Jesus' prayer was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. I want to see earth look a little bit more like heaven. But the one thing that's missing is that everything, the stuff that we're fighting over, I think no one is going to fight over our brothers and black brothers and sisters that feeling oppressed or feeling this way. I would hope not. But we're fighting over deflection points. We're fighting over who's to blame. We're fighting over Things that you just, go read Facebook to find out what everyone's fighting over. And it's like, can we agree and unite and say, we love you, we're standing with you. Help us understand more, because I don't understand. And that we could be in unity about loving our brothers and sisters. Because you want to be entrusted with more, let him entrust you with his most valuable possession. I'm going to say it again, people. Because those are his sons and daughters, and those are your brothers and sisters. So the question I have today is, I want to go back to the one who's, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong in your thinking? What if you're wrong in how you're viewing things? On any issue. What if you're wrong on your view of God? That he actually needs you to go out and verbally abuse people to defend his honor. You actually think he needs you to verbally assault people with hard language and judgment because he needs you to defend him? No. He doesn't need that. What he needs from us is someone that's going to love somebody into the kingdom of God. That's someone who's going to love somebody that they don't actually run from the kingdom of God. Hey, listen, we're joint heirs, right? We're co-laborers. I'm not, there are times, there are times to stand up. But I'm talking about standing up with our brothers and sisters. 
And I just want to know, is, is this a house of unity? Because we don't always, to have unity, you don't have to agree. You don't have to agree. Been married to her for 33 years. There's things we do not agree on, but we still love each other. My two best friends are here, Randy West and Jeff Bailey. There's things we do not agree upon, but we die for each other. We don't have to argue those points to be friends and to love. And it's funny is, in business, you're with business people. You might not agree on different business points, but you do a deal. You come to an agreement. But somehow, in Christendom, it's either the baby or the bathwater, but something's getting thrown out. It's all in. Like this, oh, no. You know, we got to, this one, this, this thing has, I disagree with this thing. So we throw it all out. And then we isolate people and isolate ourselves because we're self-righteous and we're right. I want to unite around something. I want to unite around what God is doing and what he wants to do. And so what, what I want, if you're willing, I'm going to, there's a song, Be One, Jen just put out. I think his name is uh, For, the, For the One. Jen Johnson put out, it's called For the One. I asked Anne Marie if she could sing it. She says, one, I didn't have enough time to prepare, and two, I cried the whole way through it. So she wasn't a big help. But it's, <laughs> so it's For the One. And so as we play this song, if you feel like you just want to come forward and I want to pray over you, that we could actually work on starting to be one. As Jesus said, I am one, we are one, that they may be one. And if this is something you want, you want to, you want to come, oh, I would love for everybody to come forward if you want to. And we can just pray and say, Lord, even if this is all the faith you have, help us be one. Help us be one. Can you give us that? Because what if we're wrong? So let's play that song, crank it up. Guys, you want to come forward if you want to, fine. If you don't, stay in your seat. It doesn't matter. From the homeless to the faithless. Listen, listen to the words when you're coming up. Listen to the words. She formed us and made us carefully. Cause in the end, we're all your children. So help me to love with open arms like you. You're wonderful and such a good father. Oh, let all my 
Father, may they feel the Father's love every time they encounter us. May they feel the Father's love when we enter the room because we carry peace, we carry love. Father, give us the arms to love those that feel unloved, to, to understand those that feel under, misunderstood. Father, do a work in our heart that we can open up and give everything that is to you, that you desire, all that of who we are. All that we have, we give to you, that you can do a work in us that allows us to see clearly what you want to do in our lives. Father, we don't want to miss out on anything that you're doing, so give us eyes to see where your river's flowing that we may jump in. I don't want to jump in a river just false, just to get wet and play around. I want to, I want to, I want to jump in a river that has your power, that actually has your direction, that actually is changing lives, nourishing people. Father, may, may, this, may this nourishment that we carry love people well. May we get us, put aside those things that, that are cloud our lenses, that we think are pure in motive. But, Father, when we give them up to you, and may we ask you the question, what if I'm wrong? May we walk in humility and understanding that we would be viewed as people that love and understand those which are down and out or those that are oppressed or those that are in need. May we not be arrogant enough to think that we have no needs and that people just ought to get over it. Father, come alive in our hearts and in our minds and renew our thinking to your thinking. Bring us into unity because that's where you command your blessing. Not unity that just looks like a bunch of people jumping around celebrating each other, but actually people that would charge the beach with one another. That actually they would die for one another. Actually the people that would, would, would be so one that when, as Kelly said, when one cries, we taste their salt of their tears. Give us a flavor to test, to taste the salt of our brothers' and sisters' tears. Of everybody in this room, may we taste salt, each other's salt when one cries. When one hurts, we hurt. May it not just be a practice on Sundays, but a practice every day of the week, 24-7. May it not just be a great concept we write in a journal, but a life that we live. And may it come alive that may we never be the same again. So we celebrate you today, God, what you're doing. We celebrate the renewal, the revival, the awakening, the awakening in people's hearts. An awakening that will change them forever. And we bless you, Father. And we bless everybody here. May you go out and remember whose you are and who you are. That you may walk with your head high, knowing you're a son and daughter of the Most High God. Loving those that feel unloved, changing the world one person at a time. Because we're known to stop for the one. And I just bless you. I bless your families. I bless your jobs. I bless everything you put your hands to. In Jesus' name.
Amen.